0: You always want your CEO to understand the customers that you serve better than they know themselves. And that way, that way you'll have unique insight into uh, the market so you can continue to create value. Welcome to Forward Looking Business, the show where ambitious and successful CEOs share their capital allocation strategies, which have enabled them to maximize the potential of their companies with your hosts, CEO and founder, Kevin Griffith and CMO, Nick Lepetsky.
1: Hello, this is Nick Lepetzky and Kevin Griffith from Amplify Capital. You are listening to the Forward Looking Business Podcast. This is episode two. Uh, today, we are excited to talk about transition. And what we mean by that is uh, there is a aspiration most ambitious CEOs have uh, that they are looking to reach a larger vision. And in order to do that, what we believe is they need to take themselves through a transition, which then as a byproduct brings their business through a transition. So we're going to talk about what that means. What do we, what do we mean when we, we're, we're talking about a transition? What is the destination or the end result of a transition? Uh, and all of this is uh, uh, as a result of how a CEO practices, a good, uh, practices good capital allocation. Uh, which was the topic of our previous episode. Uh, Both uh, capital allocation and uh, capital strategy were covered uh, last time. So go back and listen to that first if uh, you want to get more uh, background on what we're discussing today. That's it for now for the intro. We'll get into it with Kevin. Kevin, is there anything you want to add to my intro?
0: Given that it's our second podcast, I think the goal should be two listeners.
1: To <laughs> all right. So, thank you, both of you, for listening. <laughs> we appreciate <Yes>. you.
0: <laughs> we very much appreciate you. And my mom doesn't count.
1: Yeah. Uh, all right. So, the topic again, uh, back to that, the transition. I like this concept. I like talking about this transition because I think it separates... The ambitious CEO from the, I'll call it the managing CEO, one that uh, uh, wants to grow and scale a business to capture a larger vision versus one that is uh, managing the business. And that's not uh, intended to disparage uh, a CEO that doesn't have a grand vision. Uh, but uh, what we have noticed uh, when we work with uh, companies uh, is that uh, some CEOs just are never satisfied that they have a bigger uh, idea of how they can help people, how they can capture market, how they can deliver innovation. And in order to do that, they need their business to evolve to a certain point so that they can have the freedom and flexibility to take the next step forward in their business. And so I think that's important for us to talk about that two, those two segments of what's happening in a business. The previous segment of getting your business in order so that it runs without you as the CEO running the day-to-day. And then the second phase of that is how do you then marshal all the resources to capture that vision so that your entire business catches up to where you want to go. That's how I like to describe it. Kevin, do you want to describe uh, from your in your own words what it means to transition or transform uh, you, yourself as a CEO in your business?
0: Sure. I think to your point that a lot of CEOs might struggle with it. Um, it's because it's hard, and I'm sure a lot of people wish, a lot of CEOs wish they could be less involved in the day to day, so they can focus on growth in the future. But you know they've struggled with the execution piece of that, not necessarily by letting go, but because the people, the way they let it go, put people in positions that. They were either uh, available to rise to the occasion, so they're the wrong, wrong person, or maybe not in a position where they could succeed. And that's kind of the, the nuance, if you will, of how do you transform from a CEO that has the luxury of not having a, a daily schedule tied down on operational detail and allowing your lieutenant, so to speak, to run the day-to-day while knowing that they're going to get stuff done in the way that everybody has kind of signed up for. And that's really that transformation because at that point, the company does transform because now you get to think about future things and how you might put deals together, how you might expand, how you might go into different products. And then the day-to-day stuff, you know, is in good hands.
1: Okay, so yeah, that's, so now you describe what it means to uh, get your business in order. Talk about then what is it like or what does it feel like, or what? What's the scenario as a CEO uh, is functioning at that higher level, right? Describe that that role now. As a uh, we we'd like to the the moniker or the the title we would give them is now as a capital allocator, right? And uh, yeah, yeah, so go ahead.
0: Yeah, I mean, they're um, when you're able to to do that as a CEO, you've got really just a handful of of responsibilities. Resource allocation, capital allocation, you know, where people spend their time, where the business spends money is that core piece of that job. The other piece that I would say is core is, is setting the vision, you know, casting where you want to go and how we're going to get there. It's not just, yeah, I want to do a great big thing off in yonder land. It's, it's okay. I want to go here. Here's all the pieces that, that are in play and here's how we're going to move in that direction you know, that those are the two key responsibilities of a CEO. And usually that vision um, in particular is, it comes from a key market insight. Like you always want your CEO to understand the customers that you serve better than they know themselves. And that way, that way you'll have unique insight into uh, the market so you can continue to create value. And that's really a key part of their job.
1: Okay. All right. So um, I know you've, you and I and our our own conversations have talked about other CEOs who have accomplished this. Who is the ideal example of this CEO?
0: You know, there's, there's probably a lot of examples. I mean, there's a lot that are known. There are a lot that are unknown. Uh, but in particular for this discussion, we, we were looking at Tom Murphy and Tom is, he's ninety three. He's in, his, he's in his 90s, uh, been around for a while. He graduated Harvard Business School in 1949. And it's really a remarkable story, but he's been a mentor to uh, many, many managers like Warren Buffett over the years. And what's uh, fascinating about his story and his background is where he started, notwithstanding that he went to Harvard Business School, which is always a nice, a nice place to be. But he was a product manager working in New York City, and one of his dad's acquaintances approached him about running a bankrupt broadcasting studio in Albany, New York, sometime in the early fifties. And for whatever reason, he said yes. You know, they didn't broadcasting was still very much in its infancy; didn't really understand how good of a business that turned out to be uh, in general. So he winds up going to Albany, New York and to take over basically a turnaround, so a bankrupt broadcasting business. They wound up losing money for three years. They wound up uh, having to go back to shareholders for additional capital. And as he describes it, a relatively uh, unpleasant experience in terms of having to go and find that money, but under really starting to understand the importance of cash, especially for smaller businesses. And as they put it there in their culture, that those first three years were hugely important for the next fifty because it made them extremely frugal and watching dollars and and not necessarily just cutting costs for the sake of cutting costs, but he was extremely good at putting dollars where they mattered and and making sure they didn't go in places where they didn't. And he had unique insight into that, especially in the broadcasting business. Uh, that eventually translated into the newspaper business. So he started out as an operator. And he had a CEO who lived in New York City. I forget the gentleman's name, but and he was the first employee. And at some point uh, within the next 10 years, uh, the CEO passed away unexpectedly. And so kind of overnight, Tom Murphy had to take over this role of CEO, which means you were in charge of growth and you were in charge of uh, capital allocation. And he just inherently understood that. And, you know, one of the ways he was able to really uh, move out of that is he had a a gentleman by the name of Dan Burke, who was actually his roommate's brother from Harvard, that was really good at the operational detail. And as they started to grow, Tom started to do deals, and and Dan ran the day-to-day, and with the way broadcasting work is very regional, it was somewhat regulated, so you know, every acquisition you did kind of had to be run like a separate business. So he wound up with a portfolio of a bunch of small businesses that needed to be run. And, you know, the only way to do it efficiently, he observed was to decentralize decision-making except for uh, the investment decisions. So they had a very centralized budgeting process, uh, a very rigorous budgeting process, but then let the day-to-day operations go from there And what that did is it allowed people who they hired, who they always hired, they always tried to hire the best people available, always valuing brains over experience. They tried to, they, they, they define success. Okay. Here are your key. It was performance management, you know, way back in the day. And here's what success looks like. They would come up with unique uh, metrics related to that particular business that they wanted the, the, the manager to focus on. Uh, generally, they, they involve cash because, again, they were managing a business, kind of a business unit. And then once a year, they'd go and meet with Dan Burke and go through the budget and see how they performed last year and, and how they ranked and make decisions for where capital is going to be put this year. And it worked extremely well to the point where um, Capital Cities was the name of the company was able to buy a much larger ABC, the one that the, was- The broadcast company, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the one that was eventually <laughs> acquired by Disney. Disney. Yeah, uh, he actually did both those deals. He he bought ABC and then he sold uh, Disney. Tom Murphy did.
1: Was it like $19 billion? Sale? $19 billion
0: transaction. Yeah. So it was yeah. a $19 billion sale from bankrupt broadcasting arm in Albany, New York. Over All right. A that's a transition. Yeah. Okay. Right. We would take that, right? All right.
1: Yep. That no, was pretty good. I fell asleep in the middle of that, but it was, uh, it was pretty good.
0: <laughs> that's a great story. <laughs> it's a great story.
1: <laughs> Sorry, just busting your chops. <laughs> so, okay. What I want, I want to know more about like, so we, we looked at him, obviously that transition was phenomenal, right? So if you can say, yeah, you take a bankrupt company, Turn it into a nineteen uh, billion dollar.
0: He makes it sound so easy, right? I mean, he's just do these things,
1: right? Yeah, it's it's that's kind of it, right? It's you need to be of a certain caliber. You need to have the discipline in 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 order to uh, hold your managers accountable to key metrics, right? I think those are the fundamentals, but there's some more in there too. I know you talk a lot about uh, you know some key uh, behaviors and some key activities that uh, that he would practice or he's known for practicing. Uh, but also this is when I hear you talk about, uh, the ideal CEO and, and what they need to, uh, practice, right. And in order to achieve this transition, do you want to cover some of those?
0: I mean that the, first of all, it's not as easy as he makes it sound, you know, the, the process that they wound up implementing, it's not like, Oh yeah, you have a budget, you know, there's, there's a lot that goes into a budget. of of key decisions that go into it. And kind of the one phrase I like is, you know, the business of business is a lot of little decisions every day mixed with a couple of really big decisions. And those few big decisions always should come from the CEO. Those decisions can only be made when there's a certain amount of clarity of direction and a certain amount of clarity of the situation of of the company. Um, But, you know, really what that model does, what this this decentralization of day-to-day operations but centralizing of investment decisions does is it it i it, it bifurcates that the day-to-day little decisions are handled by the operators and the big decisions are handled by the CEO and so that that's what's really unique about the model and very uh, different by not only a way that other small businesses run but even fortune 500s you know there's huge corporate teams, there's lots of different departments to do lots of different things versus just letting the business unit make its own call uh, with the resources that are allocated to it by the CEO. All
1: right. I'm, I'm a CEO. What can you tell me so that I can start behaving more like Murphy?
0: Well, the, the first thing I would, I would do is make sure that you have a, a rock solid planning process in place. And in today's environment, you know, 12 months is probably too long, especially depending on the, the state that your company's in, whether they're growing fast or experiencing some volatility. Uh, you probably want to do a, a budgeting cycle every six months. But, you know, that's where it all starts. It starts with process. Because if you don't have process, you can't ensure that you're collecting the right information. If you're not collecting the right information, you can't make decisions. And so if, okay. if you're not running that effectively and understanding the key drivers, so it's not just looking at, Hey, here's the financial statement and here's what we did last year. And here's what we're going to do this year, you know, plus or minus 15%. If you're not understanding the key drivers, mm-hmm. that's really what budgeting is about is what are the key drivers that, that make the business go? And how are you uh stress testing those how are you making sure that those drivers are creating the results that you want
1: do you have any examples can you tell me you know are there any do you know of any great case study everybody's going to be able to point to or maybe a personal story where you've seen a uh a ceo uh, go from organized uh operation to one that is uh, one that has more of a process you know, cuz when i hear this it it seems just obvious to me it's like well, yeah. You want to have a process. You want to have a plan. You want to know what you're doing. You want to have a budget. But there's more to it. There's I know there's another layer to it. There's it's not just having it. It's having a uh, one that is of a, a a certain caliber or of a of a certain uh, tint, so that it actually has an, an outcome. And and I'm trying to understand what that that looks like. So if I'm trying to create this, what what does done look like? What does success look like?
0: Well, in my opinion. Success looks like a dynamic process. And what I mean by that is there is this concept of a budget that you do once a year and then you kind of reference it. But once you become really off budget, nobody pays attention to it anymore. Or a concept of a strategic plan where you create this great big deck and then you stick it on a shelf and it collects dust. To me, success is making those things come alive in the organization like embedding them into the way an organization operates because that's ultimately what shows the results um,
1: okay and this sounds like it's different from just traditional execution right where we all know that an idea is great a plan is great but it's the execution that matters that's not what you're talking about it, it's more around building something that's actually uh, absorbed into the organization right that uh, maybe i uh, what I'm picturing here is that leadership all under that leadership understands everything. That it's uh, probably much more of a collaborative acceptance, and there's more of um, a roadmap that everybody's uh, been able to build together. Uh, is this? Am I? I mean, it, make it, it, sense?
0: It, it makes sense. I think that is more dependent on the CEO style and the people they have around them. For sure, it should be in collaboration with the CFO or someone who, who understands the numbers. But like said, a different way: if your budgeting process is, "Hey, we're higher on revenue by fifteen percent," and nobody can answer why, then the budgeting process wasn't rigorous enough. You didn't go down to the customer level. You didn't go down to a product level. And if you're just saying, "Well, yeah, we're up, we're up ten percent over last year," And you can anecdotally say, yeah, it's because of this new customer, you know, that's not knowing your business. That's just kind of skating by like where, what I'm talking about is a deep, thorough understanding of what drives revenue, what drives costs. So, you know, what customers, uh, what new products, how many, and then the, like, if you're in CPG, it's not just, uh, the retailers, it's what, how many points of distribution do you have? How many SKUs do you have? How fast are they moving? You know, what's your payroll cost? What's your marketing cost? What's your click through rate on e I mean, those are the stuff that all of that needs to feed into the budget because all of that feeds where you should put your money.
1: Okay. All right. That helps. All right. So I understand my business is what I heard. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's it, right? I understand Completely, right? I have the big picture, uh, the macro and the micro level uh, understanding and line of sight uh, so that if there is a, an issue, um, I'm never guessing or there's never an unknown as to what's happening. All right. So that that means you've reached a certain amount of clarity, right? And right. you have uh, the confidence to, to know that you've got the data. And if the and data... It, if, go ahead.
0: It allows you to execute, right? Like it's really hard to do anything without knowing the environment you're working in. Right. You know, and, and that's where it starts to become equally as important, uh, probably less so from a day-to-day execution standpoint, but to understand your, uh, external environment, you know, what are your competitors doing? What are your customers experiencing? What are your vendors experiencing? You know, things around, um, that, that further complicate, you know, the, the day-to-day, because you don't operate in a vacuum. Got that, it. So, that allows you to execute.
1: All right. Yeah, I'm also hearing there that you need to understand your, yourself before you can look outside and see how the external environment is going to uh, right. affect uh, or your business. Okay, so uh, I've, I've reached this level as a CEO. Um, my business is, is organized and I've got clarity. Next component here is the the next component in the transition is the ability to, uh, reach out and, and, and obtain this larger vision. Describe what that's
0: like. You mean like really how does, how do you execute? Uh,
1: no more around. So it's, it's one thing. So I can run a, I can get my business to this point and I can have a, a nice business that's running without any, um, Without any help from me, right? it's kind of how I look at it. Where I'm not working in my business, it's now uh, an optimized uh, organization, and and I know uh, how to keep it on track. But I've got a bigger idea. Right? I want I want to be more than just a uh, a television station. Going to the Murphy uh, example, I, I know that there's a larger opportunity that exists. I see maybe an idea for an acquisition. Or I want to, if I'm a manufacturer, I want to open another product line or I want to get into another market. So I need to create another brand. Right. So this is me capturing a larger vision. Mm-hmm. Tell me what in describe in your words you know, what this phase is about and what I'm doing as a CEO and what my mindset is.
0: You know, at that point, you're you're kind of in that transform state, right? Is is your able to focus on creating a ton of value for the business and not having to worry about the fires that are that might be coming up and so you know if that means that you want to pursue an acquisition, you know there's a certain type of uh you don't just want to go buy something for the sake of buying something you want to have a deal thesis and you want to do all the modeling and understand you know the financial implications. Uh, and then you just go start making deals. You know, it's phone calls, it's relationships, it's it's a lot of talking. It's a lot of trying to get market insight on a whole host of things. But you're very much free with your time to do that. But it it's or if if you're you know less ambitious, then you just take the the check that your business throws off.
1: All right. So now you're functioning at this this higher level. You you're free uh, to uh perform in a new role in a way how do i know i'm at that place describe the the state of mind or you know what is there a way we can uh, identify this as a, an aspiration or a destination that somebody has uh,
0: achieved right so basically what what would a ceo feel i mean yeah. that cuz that's ultimately what it what it comes down to And Charlie Munger says it best, you know, you're in a, you've created a seamless web of deserved trust. Uh, And really what that means is you can go to sleep at night knowing that your team uh, and their teams and your culture have picked up the slack, right? That there's no stone unturned that, you know, while you're out there thinking about the future of the business and where you want to go and deals you want to make, the operators of your business have it covered and they know the resources they have to manage their business. They know what they, is expected of them and they know how they're paid and that that's how that trust is created.
1: I like that a seamless web of deserved trust. Can we title the podcast? the, the <laughs> how, to, how to obtain a seamless web of deserved trust.
0: Yeah. But in, in I mean, it's, it's really important to go back to this process because this decentralization, right, it sounds great in, pra- in theory, but in practice, it's anarchy, right? Yeah. Like yeah. if you're not, it's kind of like, you know, the, division, the separation of powers in the government. Like Congress controls the checkbook. The president does not. Otherwise, the president would spend a lot of money, right, because it's one person with an unlimited checkbook. So, you know, it's the same kind of concept. You, you're, you're the people who are executing on the day to day, they're not giving a, a blank check and that's why you can trust them in some respects. Um, I mean, obviously you want to hire people that are very capable with high, high uh, moral compass, but you know, you don't want to uh, give people the opportunity to do something nefarious when, if you don't have to, right. And a strong mm-hmm. process. Shuts that all down quickly.
1: Well, yeah, and so what I'm hearing is like the one thing you do not want to delegate is that role of capital allocation, right? Right, right. And uh, now I uh, have to remember this this other uh, quote. I, I remember from a while back. It's the to delegate, don't advocate. Right. right. And I think that's that's the other key tenant here. And I know. I'm going to throw out another quote.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Unattributable to anybody.
1: Yeah. No, the delegate don't advocate was from, uh, Severs. Uh, he was the founder of CD baby, uh, which is a great startup entrepreneurial story. Right. Uh, but, uh, it's, uh, another Buffett quote, which uh, he says his greatest strength is his greatest weakness, right. Mm -hmm. Which is this, this need to, uh, delegate. Right. So that, that's a, that's a tricky place to be. Uh, how, um how do we, you know, we, we should probably wrap up soon, but uh, how do we know we're functioning properly in this, in this heightened state where we're, we're able to perform as a, as a capital allocator, we're delegating uh, and how do we know uh, things are going well, or do we just have to wait and see how, and watch the business perform?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think if you, if a CEO wants to live in that transformed state, you've got to let people do their jobs and you, you've got to, you've got you've to gotta trust first, then you get to see the numbers roll in. Mm. Right. And that's, what's again, kind of going back to really knowing what's underpinning those numbers. So you can understand, Hey, you know, so-and-so is missing their numbers. It's their It's because they're, they're not doing a good job or is it because it's something outside their control, you know, which is, which is, there are different problems. Those two you got to understand that mm-hmm. quickly.
1: But. I like this. I, I think what we should do in the next podcast is talk just about this, uh, this, uh, this concept of having uh, true trust in your organization and how do you obtain that? You know, going back to, which is probably my favorite quote again of, uh, in In quite a while, which is a seamless web of deserved trust, so how do we how do we we've kind of talked about how you get there or what it means to get there? Uh, let's talk about uh, everything uh, that a CEO needs in order to live in that state. All right, well, I think that concludes episode two. Thanks for listening. Uh, both of you we appreciate <laughs> all the attention you've given us.
0: Thanks for listening. To hear all past episodes and read the episode summaries, which includes any links mentioned in the episode, as well as full show notes, head on over to forwardlookingbusiness.com. There, you'll also be able to schedule a call with our capital director to see how we can help your company meet its capital allocation needs.